0: Hi, my name is Chris. Thank you for joining us for one of our Jubilee messages. God is moving like never before through YouTube and different platforms, so thank you for tuning in. I wanna let you know about a few things. One, if you're watching on YouTube, throw a comment down in the comment section and make sure to subscribe to our channel. It keeps our community on YouTube growing and it creates that church atmosphere just online. The second thing is, if you're new here, head over to jfc.org new. That's a great way for us to get some information about where Jubilee is going, where we came from, and uh, kind of our heritage as a church. The last is giving. There's several convenient ways you can give. And if you want to give to Jubilee in our ministry, they'll show up somewhere here on the screen. Thank you so much for joining us, and I'll see you after the message.
1: that you're here. Uh, Just a second, we will jump into the message. Uh, This weekend, tomorrow in particular, it's Memorial Day. And um, you know, it's easy to say it's Memorial Day and then lose the meaning behind it. It turns into the unofficial beginning of summer for many people, or for others, it's just a day off, and it's a barbecue day. But the truth of the matter is, um, Memorial Day is the time where we look back and remember those who have given the ultimate sacrifice so that you and I can sit here and enjoy this day. Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life for another. And that's exactly uh, what's taken place. It's different from other holidays. It's not like Veterans Day, where it is a celebration and it's something that we recognize and that we cheer Memorial Day is more solemn and Memorial Day is more introspective. And even though there's a message today that we'll switch gears to, I just felt like um, this is such a sacred thing, if I can use that connected to this. And such an important thing that often we just, we, we appreciate the holiday and yet forget to look at what it's about. And so um, I found this quote from a woman named Tamara Bolton and I thought it it put into context sort of what I felt in my heart and this is what she wrote this is the day we pay homage to those who haven't come home this is not veterans day it's not a celebration it's a day of solemn contemplation over the cost of freedom Um, I know this freedom is never free it's never free it's paid for with the ultimate price and I thought, rather than um, applause, rather than cheer, and by the way, last night when I did this, I did set it up that way. I said, let's, uh, let's show honor. And there was applause, but it seemed to me as though it was the wrong response. Not the wrong heart, but the wrong response. So this morning, driving over, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, you feel that way because this isn't a celebration. It's an homage. We take the time to recognize And I felt like it was a time for us to give a moment of silence for this church. And so for the next 30 seconds, I'd like to just do that and think about the cost of our freedom. Father, we do. We recognize our home, our great country, and the price that was paid for us to sit here, not under tyranny and not afraid to worship, free to be able to go and make decisions today and to enjoy what's been done for us. People have paid the ultimate price so that we don't have to worry about those things. And so, Father, right now, we are thankful Thankful for those that have gone before us. Maybe it's a family member of yours, close, or maybe a distant relative, either way. We recognize now the great sacrifice that came to bring us freedom, and we're grateful for those things. Amen Amen. and amen. Um, We're in a series about the Holy Spirit, and today we begin a two-part message. Really, there'll be three parts to it, and I'll explain it, on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to try to um, imagine there's nine spiritual gifts. And I initially had one weekend to teach nine spiritual gifts. No way to do it. There's just, you, you cannot do any honor to it that way. So I broke it in half. And then as I was writing the message, I recognized, um, here's my all cards on the table. Listen to this. I don't want you to hear this message and just be smarter about the Holy Spirit. Yeah. This is a message that that you're not supposed to just have knowledge about, but that you're also supposed to experience, right? So like some things in life are not just, give me a definition. Some things can only be known through experience. Love is one of those things. You can get a dictionary dictionary definition of love, but that's not how you know what love is. You have to love someone and feel love, right? That's how you know what love is. Same thing with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I don't want you just to be smart. I don't want you to be able to tell me what all nine gifts are. I want you to tell me you experienced one of the gifts in your life, that you practiced those things, that you saw God do these things. So now we need to take that. We need to figure out how we're going to do that given the limitation that we have of time and a service, and that our services are then broken into threes, thirds, how do you keep everybody going in the same direction? So here's what I thought to do. First of all, I'm going to take this weekend and next weekend to teach on the giftings of the Holy Spirit, and I added this service. Next Sunday, five o'clock here uh, in this room, I felt like, "Let's um, let's have a worship time, and then let's allow practice. For some of these gifts to come forth. And now you might be like, John, I wasn't raised that way. Thank God you're here now. That's the, that's the point. And if you're just like, pastor, I I'd had a bad experience with it. You know, maturity is this. We don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Maturity allows us to separate what was flesh from what is God. And we put away the flesh side and we hold on to the God side. We always need to have that heart and have that place. So that when Donnie was leading worship, he said it's always appropriate to want more when it comes to God. It's, it's God appreciates our hunger. So, what is next Sunday at five o'clock for the hungry and the thirsty? for those who who want more. And if you say, Pastor, I can't be there, does that mean I'm not hungry? No, it doesn't mean that. It means maybe there needs to be another opportunity outside of that, right? But I know this. Unless we make room for the Holy Spirit, all we're going to do is be smarter about these things, but we're not going to have the experience of these things. God gave them to us so that we can experience his goodness. God is not a practical joker. God is not a bad father. He's not going to do something to you or act in some manner that causes you to feel like, I I don't like that. He is a good God. I'm going to say that one more time. It's a good place just to, even if you don't get it, agree, because you'll look smart. God is a good God. He's a good God. And he has good things for you. And so our heart here and in our lives is, God, if you have more, we want more. All right, with that in mind, let me give you a couple of ground rules on how we're going to teach this. Um, If you want to, outside of what we're doing today and next week, if you want to look at this for yourself, pray about this, study this, learn more, I would encourage you to do so. Let me give you two chapters that we're going to lean on heavily um, during this time. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And 1 Corinthians chapter 14. These two chapters are super explicit on what the gifts are and how the gifts work individually and how they work corporately. And so we're gonna talk about both of those things um, this weekend and next weekend, but we wanna lay a ground rule here that I think is like the imperative. If we're gonna if we're gonna talk about these things and ultimately we want to practice these things, there needs to be like what, what is our common denominator? So 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse one, three things in this chapter that I think are super important. Uh, The first one, it says this, follow the way of what? So as long as we make love our aim, God can protect this thing inside of our church. If we say suddenly that I don't care what somebody else thinks, or I'm going to get mine, or I don't want anything to do with that, that's not love. Love lays down its rights. Love honors the other person. Love allows God to do whatever he wants to do in our lives. Love. So we're going to follow the way of love. The second thing gives an instruction to those who are believers. And if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, this is not a suggestion. This is a direct command. Eagerly desire gifts of the spirit. Say it with me eagerly desire gifts of the spirit so you don't get the luxury of saying john i wasn't raised that way or john i'm uncomfortable with those things or john i don't get those things you as a follower of christ are being told eagerly desire the things that god has for you they're gifts they're good gifts And the greatest way to honor the gift giver is to take the gift that's being given to you and use that gift. That's how you honor someone who's given you a gift. And then the last one gives us an imperative about the gifts. And it says this, eagerly desire the gifts of the spirit. And then look at this, especially which gift? Prophecy. When's the last time you woke up and went, God, I want prophecy. Because <laughs> that, according to this is what you're supposed to do. And somewhere, listen to me, we've learned to do church without the availability of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That's never what God intended. That's not how it's supposed to be. We quantify a good service by how good the teaching is and not by whether or not the gifts of the Spirit were also available to us in a service. And both of those things are important. Thank you for that overwhelming, powerful, knock the preacher down, amen. Right here. Okay, so try to teach these things. First Corinthians 14:1. follow the way of love, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, seven through 11, list the nine gifts of the spirit. So I'll read it to you. And then folks obviously can't teach on all of them. I'm only going to pick a few to teach today. Uh, now to each one and the context here, Paul is writing to a church in a large metropolitan city called Corinth uh, Corinth is an educated city. It's a uh, of its time, a large city, a Denver type of a city, not millions, but thousands, tens and tens of thousands of people for its time. It's a big metropolitan place. So Paul is writing a letter to a group of believers who um, some are unaware of spiritual gifts, some are abusing spiritual gifts, some are uh, like, hey, these things are available to us. So he's got this like real eclectic group and he's trying to teach them. And I would say it's kind of where we are, right? Some that are pretty unaware, some that are like really excited, some that have had mistakes made with it. And yet we need to eagerly desire these things and we need to follow the way of love. So each one. Uh, The manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good of the body. To one there is given through the spirit a message or a gift of wisdom. To another a a message or gift of knowledge by means of the same spirit. To another, the gift of faith by the same Spirit. To another, uh, gifts of healing. And by the way, the literal translation of that scripture into English is not gifts of healing. It's plural, gifts of healings. So there's more than one kind of healing. Not just physical, but there's emotional healing. And there's spiritual healing. God sets us free from things that bind us, from wounds. Uh, I've I've said this. Serving Jesus doesn't erase the past, but it can alter the future. So that God can heal you, not where you don't remember what happened to you, but so that you can use those things to launch forward and be used by God to help other people with those things. Did you get it? So there's gifts of healings, multiple. Um, To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kind of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation uh, of those tongues. And then he winds it up with this. All of these gifts are the work of one and the same spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So here's what this is saying. And get this picture real quick. In this room are every one of those gifts. And everybody in this room... Has spiritual gifts. And if you go, I don't think I have a spiritual gift. My first advice to you was quit agreeing with the enemy of your soul about spiritual gifts. You have spiritual gifts. Now, you may not know what they are. You may never have been trained in these things. You may never have been taught that you have spiritual gifts. You may never have operated as a spiritual gift, right? But that doesn't mean that you don't have them. And by the way, if you're breathing air, it's not too late. It's not too late. It's really not. In this room are all nine of these gifts. And just one other thing. It's not in my notes, but just say it to you. Uh, Can a person have more than one gift? You bet. Of course. Like, I don't know if there's a lot. Maybe you can have all nine. I'm not sure. But I know you can have more than one. I know in my life I operate in more than one gift. And I would say this too. You may not have that gift, but from time to time the Holy Spirit can use you in that thing. So that, you know, it may not be like your go-to, but you can be used in that thing right there if you're willing to go there. And I would just like to open your heart to the idea that according to the scripture, the Holy Spirit has distributed these gifts as he see fit. They're given to the body, and in this body are all nine of those gifts. Wouldn't it be wonderful to figure out who has what gifts and how they could help this body move forward and grow spiritually? So I'll try to talk about this a little bit. So uh, I wrote them this way. Here's what we're going to talk about in the next couple of weeks. Words of wisdom, words of knowledge, the gift of faith, gifts of healings, the working of miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, different kind of tongues, and the interpretation of those tongues. Now, I'm only going to do four today. I hope to, to do justice to these four Uh, honestly, this is one of those messages where I could have gone nine weeks and tried to teach on each one of these individual gifts, but it's just not the way that we broke it down this time. And so I'm going to try to do four today and do justice to them. I didn't just go in order. I felt like this is what I felt like, how my mind works. What I felt was wisdom before God asking him, I feel like of these nine gifts, some of them are more, um, Ames, what's the word that we used with it? More uh, mystical. And some of them are far more practical. And so rather than just dive into the mystical right off the bat, I thought I would teach on the practical because if I can show you the benefit of the practical, I think I can open your heart to the mystical. Does that, does that make sense to you? I just think that's logical in the way that it could work. So of the nine, I didn't just go in order. I bounced around on the ones that I felt like the Holy Spirit said, teach on this, teach on this. So the first one, words of knowledge, the second gift that's listed. The first one is words of wisdom. The second is words of knowledge. So I'm going to give you four scriptures where you can see the activity of, of a word of knowledge, how it works, why it's beneficial. And then I'm going to give you two examples in our life of how the word of knowledge has worked for Chris and I uh, in our family. So let's look let Acts chapter 9 verse 11 through 16, Um, this is really a powerful story. This is about um, the apostle Paul and his conversion. Now, let me explain to you who Paul was. Uh, He's a Pharisee. He's a lawyer, very educated, very Jewish, would have been considered to be a Jew's Jew, keeps all the law, you know, just a a radical when it comes to those things. So he sees Christianity like the people who put Jesus to death in the same way he sees it as a threat to Judaism. So he becomes a radical to persecute, prosecute, and to to really annihilate Christians. And the very first time that we read about this Saul, before his name is changed to Paul, this Saul, we read about him at the death of the very first martyr in the church, which is Stephen. And Stephen preached a message to the Pharisees. And he preached a message that convicted them of of ignoring what God's will is and what God's been trying to tell them through the scriptures. And the Bible says they were so angry that they gnashed their teeth and they pulled their hair and they decided to stone him. So the very first time we read about this Paul, the apostle Paul before he's Paul, he's holding the coats of the people who took them off so that they can get velocity on the stones that they're throwing at Stephen. That's who this guy is. And then from that point, he begins to get legal uh, writs is what they're called. Legal documents where he can go into synagogues, go into churches, go into cities, find Christians. And he's got three choices in what he can do with Christians, depending on uh, their level inside the church. Uh, He can harass them and beat them up. He can have them imprisoned in jail and he can have them stoned. Stoned. He gets to choose one of those three things. This is a bad dude who is hurting Christians. And he has this reputation. On his way to Damascus, on his horse, Jesus shows up, knocks him off his high horse. That's how I like to say it. Blinds him and then says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then Saul asks two very important questions that everyone in humanity has to ask. The first one is, who are you, Lord? And what do you want me to do? And that amazing how it changed him in an instant, man. It knocked him to the ground. He's blinded. And so Jesus said, "It's why are you persecuting me? It's really difficult to go against what God has. And he begins to speak to, to this guy. And because he's blinded now, they have to take him to a house and they place him in a house. And, and Paul is contemplating, Saul is contemplating all of these things that are happening. And really what's going on is that repentance is working in his heart right now. He's about to be converted. And not as radical as he was against Christianity is as radical as he becomes a Christian. is huge. So he's in this house, blinded, waiting for instruction. And then this is how a word of knowledge works. So the Lord told him, the hymn is a believer named Ananias. Here's the word of wisdom uh, of knowledge look how specific this word is go to the house of judas on straight street and ask for a man from tarsus named saul for he is praying and in a vision he has seen a man named ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight don't go to the next scripture just stop so this word a word of knowledge is not some generic word Like a generic word is, someone in this room has a bad back. Raise your hand if you have a bad back. Boom. You're going to hit somebody with a generic word. A word of knowledge is a specific. Someone in this room fell on May the 3rd in your backyard. You slipped on a skateboard and hurt yourself. You've been to five doctors. You're not getting better, and God wants to touch you, who that's specific, yes or no that 's what a word of knowledge is it's specific it allows what 's the power the benefit of a word of knowledge we 're always asking God. Won't you help me in my situation? Don't you see what's going on in my marriage? Don't you see what's happening with my children? What's going on in my health? And then when God specifically says in your health, here's what's happening and I'm here to touch you right now. It lets you know that God knows in all the universe that he takes care of, he knows you. He knows what's going on with you and it brings faith and healing and hope to you. How many of you would love for God to give you a specific word for a situation in your life today? Of course you would, you'd love it. You wouldn't go, oh, that's weird. You'd be like, thank God I got that. This is a word of knowledge. So let's look at what happens with it right after this. Uh, Ananias uh, says back to the Lord, Lord, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles, to their kings, and to the people of Israel. Look at this sentence. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. I want you to remember that because later on, when we talk about another gift, we're going to put this context. What, what was it that he was going to have to suffer? And I'm going I'm to show you what that means later on. But this is a word of knowledge. Let me give you another one. John chapter 4. Uh, This is Jesus with the Samaritan woman at the well. Look how specific this word of knowledge is. Um, So Jesus meets this woman, asks her to give him a drink. She said, you obviously don't know that I'm a Samaritan because you Jews don't have anything to do with us Samaritans. And Jesus said, if you knew who you were talking to, uh, you'd be asking me to give you a drink and I'd give you water that would satisfy you forever. he begins to preach to her. And then he says this, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband. She replied. Here's the word of knowledge. Jesus said to her, you're right. When you say you have no husband, fact is you've had five husbands and the man you are living with now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. She said, look at me. A word of knowledge is not some generic thing. It's very specific. And the reason that some of us are afraid of a word of knowledge is that we believe it would be used to shame us or embarrass us. Here's what I would say to you. If God has something personal to say to you that would call you to attention, he wouldn't do it in front of everybody. Just like Jesus said it to her one-on-one, God would never shame you and embarrass you because he's a good God with good gifts and would never do something to harm you. That's right. You don't have to be afraid of any gift. So if God does have something very specific that he would call you to repentance over or call you to, hey, this is harming you or, hey, you're not going the right direction, he wouldn't do that to embarrass you in front of a group of people. He would speak that to you personally so that something good could come of it. Do you see that? Yep. That's a word of knowledge. A word of knowledge can save a person, can heal a person, can can set a person free. All right, uh, let's go to another one. Now, this one is, um, this is a gift that I, to be honest with you, i I'm not excited about this gift. I'm not, I don't want this kind of a word of knowledge, um, but it happened. Uh, A man named Ananias, not the Ananias that prayed for Paul. This Ananias is about to die. And this story takes place about 15 or 20 years before the other story about Ananias praying for Paul. So these are two different Ananiases. A man named Ananias. Together with his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property with his wife's full knowledge. She's in cahoots. He kept back part of the money for himself, brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Let me just comment on this. Is what he did wrong? The fact that he kept back some of the money? No, that's not the issue. This was his property. In fact, Peter's about to say it all belonged to you. You didn't have to do anything with it, but he lied in front of the whole church and here was the lie. They took the money, held back some of it and then the money they took, they said, this is all the money that we got for selling the property. Look at this great gift that we're giving to the church. Maybe they wanted to be more respected. Maybe they wanted a higher position of authority. Whatever it is, they're lying to everybody and they're deceiving everybody in the church and this would be very, look at me. When leadership lies to the church, it harms the church. And God is not for that. And I'm thankful, honestly, that not all lies get dealt with this way right here. Okay. Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings. You have lied to God. Listen to this. When Ananias heard this, he fell down, died. Great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped his body, carried him out and buried him, which is Jewish custom to bury on that same day if it's possible. About three hours later, his wife came in Not knowing what had happened, but remember she was in full agreement with the lie. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? And she lied, yep, this is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, finding her dead, carried her out, buried her beside her husband. This sentence, great fear seized the whole church, and all who heard about these events. Real, real, like this is not one of those gifts you want to have. Like a heat. Those of you who want to be able to have the gift to detect a lie and kill people, come. F- Nobody wants that <laughs> gift, right? That's not the gift that we want, because we'd all be found guilty in that situation. Yeah. Let's be honest. But what is this right here? What this word of knowledge did, what was revealed here, it caused the church to be separate from all other events going. When people looked at that, they go, that thing is real. That's not some club. That's not some joke. That's not some, this is the real deal. So powerful that fear seized the church and people who were in were really in. They weren't playing two games. You can come in here and be one way and you can go out in the world and be another way. Or you can bring the world stuff into the church. This was the real deal. A word of knowledge, man, can cause the church to move forward, to to become holy, to cleanse itself, to become powerful. I would just say to you, listen to this. We live in a day and an age where we as the church cower and we're afraid of a world that we feel is hostile and against us. And the thing that God wants to do is to elevate the gifts in the church so that the church is not afraid of the world, but we have an answer. We're light and we're salt and we're different from the world. We can engage the world with power, not with like, Hey, come in here and we'll be like you and you be like, you come here. This is a completely different thing. Yeah. Do you get it? This is a different thing that God's got going on there. Uh, Acts chapter 10 one through six uh at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius who was a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment so this is not a Jew this is a Gentile who is Rome was the power that was over that part of the world including Israel and this is a garrison that's stationed in Israel to keep it underneath uh Roman rule so this is a Roman uh like a captain of the guard So he's a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, here's the word of knowledge. Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God right here. Now, send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. Look at me. That's a very specific word. Yes or no? That's not, hey, go to Jerusalem and look for some dude named Peter. (laughs) I mean, weeks, months? No, no. Go to Joppa. Go to this street. Look for this house and find this person. That's a word of knowledge. Now, why is this even, what's the story here? The gospel is about to go beyond Jews to Gentiles. And this guy is a Gentile. He has this vision, send for Peter and bring Peter to you. At the same time, Peter's having a vision. And in his vision, a big sheet is lowered and on the sheet is every animal that a Jewish person cannot eat. He's kosher. Yeah. And the voice of the Lord speaks to Peter and says, rise, kill and eat. And Peter said, no way, God. I can't do that. Since I was a kid, I've been taught that that's illegal. And I've kept myself pure and kosher. And God said to him, what I call clean, you can no longer call unclean. The meaning... Peter's about to go down to a Gentile who Jews considered to be unclean and they had nothing to do with them. And God is now saying, what I call clean, you no longer can call unclean. Peter goes to this house based on this word of knowledge and vision, preaches the gospel to Cornelius. Cornelius, all of his family become believers, they're baptized, and they're the first Gentile Christians that spread out into the entire world. That's the power of a word of knowledge it can reach a city, it can reach a country, it can reach a people group. Are you following what I'm saying? All right, so this is like big picture, small picture. How does a word of knowledge work in our lives? All right, let me give you one. This is a few years ago. This is a healing that happened to me. Uh, I was the associate pastor at a church in Northern Colorado, Resurrection Fellowship, Loveland, Fort Collins area. And my pastor uh, was out of town on a vacation And we had a guest speaker coming in, and my job, uh, in his absence, was to take care of the service. And so we have a guest speaker. I need to introduce this guest speaker. I need to make sure that everything in the service runs the right way. Open it, close it, take care of everything that's there. So we have uh, the speaker coming and a few days before she was due there, I think it was a Wednesday or a Thursday, I went mountain biking with a group of friends. We used to go mountain biking. We went up to Winter Park and rode the lift up and then bombed down the hill. And I probably made my third run, was going to be my last run. I was flying down the hill and as the mountains, when it rains, it causes washouts, little channels. If you've ever mountain biked, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And at about 30 or 40 miles an hour, my bike ended up in one of these little washouts out channels and I couldn't get the front wheel out of it and it hit a rock and over the handlebars I go and I'm wearing a helmet so I'm protected that way but I land on my shoulder and I broke my shoulder it separated my shoulder and anybody in this room that's ever had a broken shoulder it's the real deal man Oh my goodness, it hurts. So I stood up. I, ins- I heard it crack when I hit. I stood up. I couldn't move it. It begins to swell almost immediately. The guys that I'm riding with have to take my bike and get it down the hill. I can't, every little step hurts. I get to the bottom at first aid. They take an x-ray and they said, your shoulder's separated. You need medical help. We cannot do this for you here. You need to get back down to Denver. So I head down the hill and I don't know about you, but I get home that night. It's probably six o'clock. So I tell Chris, I'm going to put Ben Gay on it and in the morning I'll be okay. Anybody else? like? Right? So I wake up in the morning and it is purple. And so it's just huge. So I went to have it x-rayed and the way they check to see if it's separated, they make you hold a weight in your hand that pulls on the joint. And if it's separated, it pulls the joint. And I, I just can't tell you how bad it hurts, man. I like, ah, drop the weight something's wrong. So I need to have an operation. That's how they fix this. And in the meantime, they immobilize my arm in a sling, put it right next to my body. But I've got this guest speaker coming and my pastor's gone and I've got to take, i got a responsibility. And I don't want to go into the service with this thing like this. So I take the sling off and I decide, I just, I won't let anybody jostle me I won't complain. I'll just be cool, right? I'll just sit on the front, let her do her thing. When she's done, I'll get up. Nobody has to be the wiser. So we go through the service, and the woman who's speaking is speaking on the gift of healing. So she, at the end of her her teaching time, she just begins to demonstrate this gift, and she's very, it's a word of knowledge that's coupled with a word of healing. Um, This person had this particular thing happen that caused this in your life, God wants to heal you right now. Who are? It, was a specific, it wasn't for everybody. It was for a specific, someone would stand up. She would pray for them. And God was, I mean, it was powerful. I was watching God do all of these awesome things. And I'm sitting there in the chair thinking, I bet she's going to have a word for shoulders. <laughs> and we go through the whole service and she doesn't say one thing about soldier, uh, so, uh, shoulders. So I'm like, man, this would have been the perfect opportunity. So She's done. And we're cleaning everything up. And this probably 14 or 15-year-old girl walks up to me. And she said, Pastor, uh, I, I think I have a word. And I'm like, man, the services were done. I said, you should have come up earlier. And she said, I, I thought I was supposed to wait till the end. Well, what's the word? She said, somebody here has a hurt shoulder. And God wants to heal their shoulder. Okay, we have time. Uh, (Laughter) And I knew it was for me and not for everybody else. And I said, listen, it's me and I just want you to pray for me. So this little girl, just laid her hand on my forehead. What happened? I don't know. I don't have the words. Top of my head to the bottom of my feet. God touched me, man. I know it was, he healed my shoulder. I began to move it. The pain was gone. I went to the doctor that week. X rayed it. You do not need surgery, but we think you should go into rehab. Why? Because we need the money. I, <laughs> I'm not going to do rehab. I don't need it. I'm good. Go God. go, God is right. It was not some crazy thing, there was no weirdness with it. God healed me. Why would we deny those gifts if they're available to us today? Why would we be afraid? Because we didn't grow up that way? Because, hey, because I'm a Methodist. So if you're a Methodist, let me tell you what your real roots are. John Wesley was a fire-breathing, spirit-filled, basing his church on the gifts of the Spirit. Go back and read the history of the revivals that John Wesley, who started the Methodist church, John Wesley would turn over in his grave if he saw the condition overall of the Methodist church today. It is not what he, he gave himself to establish Well, thank God I'm not a Methodist, but I was a Lutheran. Well, let me tell you about you. (laughs) Because on our side, we have Lutherans too. Lutherans are wonderful people. They're awesome people. But Martin Luther gave a broadside to the Catholic Church by nailing to the Wittenberg door his theses on the things that were wrong. And one of the things that were wrong is that at that time, the hierarchy of the Catholic Church allowed for indulgences. People could pay money and feel like they bought their way into heaven. And look at me, you cannot buy with money a spiritual gift. Yeah, right. And this, these leaders were telling people, give me money and it'll guarantee that you're going to heaven. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And Martin Luther said, no more of this and stood up. It was called the Reformation. And out of that, Martin Luther, the Lutheran church. And I guarantee you what Martin Luther was, was spirit filled. And believed in the gifts and who he was is not representative of where the, ch- when a church loses its power and its way, it has to adopt the culture to become relevant rather than telling the culture, look at what God says about relevance. Yeah. So then we sit in a church that believes in the gifts and we think, well, we believe in those things. When's the last time you practice those things? Because the danger in this church is that you can know in your head, but not experience in your heart. Look at me. How do I say this with love and kindness, man? Like, there's there's just more. That's good, Ryan. Thank you. That was so easy. Why couldn't I think of that right there? There's more. God, he has more. He wants to reestablish what this is all about in the first place and make it relevant and make it powerful. The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. It's powerful. Let me give you one more. Uh, Word of knowledge, Chris and our twins, Um, we sat on the board. If I say Tom Ewing, how many of you know who I'm talking about real quick? Okay, Tom Ewing's a worship leader, great worship leader. We've had him here from time to time. He's all all over the world now, but man, he's just a great worship leader. And when he was first getting his ministry going, he chose two couples to be on his board, and Chris and I were one of those couples. And um, we're headed out of our house right around Christmas time to go to the very first board meeting. And um, our twins at the time, our two youngest, our boys, um, maybe they were 15 or 16, right before 16, right, hon, Chris? Right before 16? Yeah, 15, almost 16. And so we're getting ready to leave the house, and they're getting ready to leave the house. And we would always say to our children when they left the house, use wisdom. Use wisdom. That was our expectation. Train them with what wisdom is use wisdom. So they walk out of the house. We get in our car. We go to the board meeting. We're in the middle of the board meeting and Chris leans over to me and says, we have to leave right now. (laughs) Why? Because something is wrong. Okay. What does that mean? I don't know, but we need to go now. What am I going to tell these people? This is a board meeting. Tell them that something's wrong and we need to leave right now. So I looked at him and I said, Hey guys, we got to go. So we get in our car, we're driving home. Babe, what's, what's going on? She said, something's wrong with the boys. What's wrong? I don't know, but something's wrong with the boys. We need to go home right now. So we go home and she starts calling friends. Well, them first, then friends, can't find them. Something's wrong. Uh, we need to go find them. I don't know where to go. Where do you want me to go look? So we prayed and the Lord gives her the address the house mama jumps in the car and drives to the house and guess what finds both boys there doing stuff that was not wisdom how about that right is that fair Anybody in this room ever not done wisdom before in your life? So don't judge me right now. And by the way, if you want to know how things turn out, one of them's a pastor and the other one's in finance and they both love Jesus and they're both here today, right now. So don't panic when you see a situation, trust God long-term in a kid's life. All right. So, so she goes in, says, Hey, uh, you need to come home now. We, we want to minister to you. And I'm going to leave the story right there. Uh, (laughs) So a word of knowledge, although we laugh and I use a little bit of humor, a word of knowledge is very practical in our lives in that it can bring safety. It can bring healing. It can bring advice. It can bring clarity. It can move in so many different ways inside of our lives. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Gift of faith. Let me just do this one, uh, the gift of faith. So by the way, this faith is not the faith to believe in Jesus. These are t- If we say that somebody has faith, they're a person of faith, we mean that they're a believer. That's not what a gift of faith is. A gift of faith is when God causes us to believe a promise, to believe the impossible. In fact, we so believe it that we're willing to act, we're willing to lay down our lives for something. That's the gift of faith. So I'm gonna give you two scriptures, or one scripture and one story. Uh, Acts 21, 8 through 14. This is the apostle Paul, many years after his conversion, leaving the next day. And remember the scripture we read where Ananias was told, Jesus said, I'm gonna show him the many things he has to suffer. Remember I said, remember that we're going to talk about what that was leaving the next day we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the evangelist one of the seven he had four unmarried daughters uh, who had the gift of prophecy after we had been there a number of days a prophet named Agabus and you can read about Agabus he was a prophet respected known in the church of Jerusalem and he appears several times in the book of Acts a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea uh, coming over to us. He took off Paul's belt. So he literally, Paul had, you know, not a leather belt like this, but uh, a cloth belt, huge one that would have wrapped around him several times. Uh, coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied, Agabus ties his own hands and his feet with us. And then here, here is the, the look at this, is the Holy Spirit says, In this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owners of this belt and will hand the owner of this belt over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. And then Paul, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready, this is the faith, I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. Why didn't Paul allow this word of knowledge and this prophecy to change his direction. Remember when Jesus said, I'm going to show him the many things that he must suffer for my name. Paul had already been told he was going to have to lay down his life. So Paul went into this with great boldness. It just confirmed to the other people that what Paul was doing was not stupid that this was God's will for Paul, that he was going to, what would cause a person to lay down their life? If I asked you right now, would you lay down your life for the gospel? Sitting here, you might say, yes, I would do it. I love Jesus. You don't know what you would do unless you're in that place. But I would say this, if the gift of faith came on your life, you could be bold in the face of death. This gift of faith. Now, let me show you how it's worked in our church in just the last few months, December the 26th. I stand up and I say, guys, this is what God is doing in our lives and in our church right now. Some 30 years ago, God gave Chris and I a twin dream about a teaching and training center eventually that would go along with our church. And here's all of the things that God's been doing with our buildings and with new buildings. And we have 90 days to raise $3 million. That's crazy. That's ludicrous. That's insane. Unless unless God is in it. And the faith that was on me landed on our church. And in less than 90 days, we raised $3.3 million, yes. get our building, close on it. And we, n- next weekend, I'll show more. I'll do the 3D demonstration of the building. And then the following weekend, we'll have the open house there. On the, the weekend of the 12th, we'll do the open house. And you'll see what God has done. That's what, and how do I know that was a gift of faith? Because there's other times in 23 years, I've stood up here and tried to raise $30,000 and there's no faith on it and nothing happens. That's faith. It moves an entire church when there's a gift of faith on it. Oh my goodness, I'm talking so fast to trying to get this done. <laughs> Whew. Third one, the working of miracles, the working of miracles. Uh, so let me, let me approach this from a different point of view. Why do people teach today that miracles no longer happen, that at the death of the last apostle, miracles cease? Yes, we see little things, but we don't see those big things that used to happen because God used that to help start the church. But when the last apostle died, miracles no longer are available to us. Oh my, <laughs> can, can I tell you what I felt like the Holy Spirit told me about that. This is why people teach that one misunderstanding about how it works, but two disappointment, because when you believe in miracles and then you can't see them happen and you don't see them around you, here's what we do. Disappointment becomes the mother of bad theology. Instead of raising our disappointment in the face of the fact that I'm disappointed and still saying, this is what scripture says. We take scripture and we dumb it down to fit our situation. So when we don't see a miracle, then we will say miracles obviously don't happen anymore, but that is not what the Bible says. Jesus said, these things and greater shall you do. You'll heal the sick, you'll cast out demons, you'll raise the dead. Now I need to be weird for a minute. Because I believe those things. And I believe those things are supposed to happen today. But how do we practice and how do we try? And is there room to to learn and to make a mistake? So like my job brings me in contact with people who have died. And some of those are people who were precious and close and have, have become friends of mine. And I remember standing in a morgue in Monterey, Mexico, a a third world ugly morgue with a 17-year-old girl from this church who had been killed tragically. And her mother, I went with her father to claim her body. And her mother said, before you bring her back, pray for resurrection. And the only opportunity I have is that they bring this cold body out in the middle of, I can't even describe it to you. And I laid my hands on her and asked God, Will you resurrect this child? Huh. And people walking by looking at me rolling their eyes and thinking I'm the weirdest thing. Yep. I believe it enough that I'm gonna practice it. Yeah. And instead of being afraid and embarrassed and saying those things just to, somebody's got to try. What will it do when someone is finally raised from the dead to the church? Yes. Do you get it? Yeah. Yes. Uh, we've got to be willing to practice and say that we believe these things. It's one thing to be smarter, but it's another thing in our heart to say. So I pray for people. When I'm walking down the aisle at the store, if God says to me, pray for, I have stopped people who said, can I pray for you? Man, you get weird looks, but nobody's ever told me no. Nobody's ever said no to me. being willing to step out, the working of miracles. According to what I read to you, God distributes these gifts to everybody in the church. I wonder in this room, who has the gift of miracles and you don't even know it. And you know what the devil loves? For you to be born, to live and to die and to never know you had a gift. And to activate that thing, how powerful would it be in the church? for people who are sick to be prayed for and God heals them. For people who are bound up in habits Mm -hmm. and and addictions control their life. How awesome for God to touch them and to cure that thing on the inside of them. Not just deliver them from that thing, but to deliver them from the thing that drives them to that thing. Mm -hmm. Do you hear what I'm saying right now, church? The working of miracles. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. To each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. This gift is in this church someplace. We always think it's pastors that, I don't have that gift. If I did, I would operate in it all the time. I think God has intentionally kept it from pastors so that people can't just sit there and say, Pastor, entertain me. And somewhere we've got to, how does this, anybody here what, do you see a desperation in your pastor right now? Like if we're going to read, either I've got to start ignoring these chapters or we've got to talk our way through it and figure out what does it mean? And I am just simply not going to say, Hey, this doesn't happen anymore. I won't say it. Go back to that Corinthian scripture real quick. Let me tell you how I know for sure in the Bible that this didn't die with the death of the last apostle. Look at this to each one the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. This is not written to the apostles. It's written to people sitting in churches. So even after the apostles were all dead, this was written to people. God did not stop the gifts at the death of the last apostle. The gifts belong to people that sit in churches. On, I don't, it, it just makes sense to me. Okay, uh, last one, man. <laughs> Thank you for being merciful to me right now. I'm, um, let me, um, let's just go to prophecy. I, I just, I'll get to it. Prophecy what is prophecy? Why do we want prophecy? How does prophecy work? Well, let me tell you the ground rules for what a prophecy is. First Corinthians 14, three, the one who prophesies speaks to people for these three things, strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Real quick, how many of you need to be strengthened, encouraged, and comforted? Yeah. So, aren't you glad it says that prophecy is there to kick your butt, make you mad, and hurt your feelings? <laughs> I mean, aren't you glad that that, because that's what we think prophecy is many times. And that's not, prophecy is there to strengthen, encourage and comfort. God gives it as a gift to help people. That's what prophecy does. And so what we have in the church today, we have pictures of Old Testament prophets. We think they are people like John the Baptist, who was the bridge between the Old Testament and the New, he wears goat skin clothes and eats, you know, locust and honey. Here's a guy with a little locust leg hanging out of his mouth as he prophesies. That's not a prophet. We don't have Old Testament prophets. You want to know what New Testament prophets look like? They wear Adidas and nice black slacks and T-shirts that said I was one way and now I am completely different. That's a good prophetic shirt right there. I like that. And they have birthdays. And they have friends who have support for those people that have birthdays. Prophets look like everyday people. They're not Old Testament prophets who get up and rail against a thing or who lie naked for 14 months. Thank God. You don't. There's a great story to tell of Jeremiah, who the Lord told you have to lie naked for, I think it was 14 months. Um, Aren't you glad you don't have that word? Like, (laughs) A New Testament prophet is not there to do those old. In the Old Testament, only a few people. But Peter said on the day of Pentecost, this is that spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, says the Lord, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Men and women, young and old, will all be able to prophesy. And why do we prophesy? For strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Of course you want this gift. And of course we need this gift. And in this church, there is room for these things. Now, can you understand why I, I add a, an opportunity next Sunday? Because I believe that prophetic events can strengthen, encourage, and comfort people. How many people today are so afraid of... We're doing that next series on Teach Me, asking you to send us the things you want us to teach on this coming summer. It's amazing how so many of the questions, they're written different, but they're the exact same question. Here's a common question. How do I navigate with my children the world that they're growing up in right now? Uh Uh You want to know how you do that? In a nutshell, it's going to take the power of the Holy Spirit. It's going to take prophetic events that'll hold them in place and show them who they are. Man, we live in a day where somehow this nation and this time has made us afraid to even speak out on things that God has made so clear. We must be bold right now. We must engage. Jesus said, when I return, will I find faith? Not belief in him, but faith that's engaging and active and powerful. Church, where the hope of America, look at me. The hope of America is not some revival coming out of Washington DC. The hope of America is the church waking up and realizing who you are, what God has said about you and the gifts that are available to you, sir. They're in you and they're in you and they're in you. They belong to us. That's our hope. We do not have a political problem. We have a spiritual problem today. It is a spiritual problem. And that doesn't mean that politicians aren't key and important and laws are necessary. It means that the hope of the world is not politics. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And that's what I believe. That's the church that's been delivered to us. And that's what's got to rise up in this day, man. And even the church itself, not knowing who it is, looks to Washington DC to provide answers that only we have inside of here. We have them. And either I've lost it which is a possibility, I'll give it to you, or I'm on to something here that's far deeper than what we know right now that encompasses all people, all people, not some people, not white people, not black people, all people, all people. This is an all people issue. This is a Jesus issue is what it is. God, come and do this today, man come and do this today. Look at me. I, my last words of comfort. It's 1219. I, I'm sorry. I'm working hard right now. I'm really working hard, man. I, I, so that you know, the Bible says with these things, they're to be done decently in order. Of course, the enemy wants to use these things because if he can cause us to make mistakes, then he can shut down the power part of the church. Yeah. So pastor's jobs then are to watch over sheep. So you know Like if there's words in our churches, even now it works this way. We ask, we don't just let people stand up and take over. We tell them, I sit right over there, right over there where other pastors sit. You need to go over there and whoever uh, is by the microphone, you need to say to them, I have a word. And I will ask people, what's your word? And if they tell me, well, if I tell you, there'll be no anointing on it. (laughs) Eh, Sit down. Or I've had somebody say to me before, if, if I, it doesn't work that way, pastor, when I go up there, then the Holy Spirit will come on me and I'll be able to prophesy because the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that the spirit is subject to the prophet. The prophet's not subject to the spirit. If you fall in a trance, you need help. That's not, I don't know what spirit that is, but that's not, that's not how it works. This is normal. And then I'll tell people, okay, I think that word is for our church and not just for you. So I want you to say the word and just say the word. Don't preach with it. That's my job. That's what I do. Just say the word. And then we'll see if there. So what is that? Is that control? In a manner of speaking, it is control, but it's not to hinder the Holy Spirit. It's to allow there to be order with it so that God can use it in our church. I will walk in my responsibility to protect you as we try to go forward in these things. Do you understand what I'm saying? Not to hinder or grieve the Holy Spirit, but so that the Holy Spirit can keep moving inside of our church. We got to quit talking about these things, being afraid of these things, comparing these things. Uh, Like, Pastor, we might make a mistake with it. My goodness, if that is the qualifier for trying anything, you need to go to heaven right now (laughs) because nothing in this side of heaven is perfect. Have you figured that out, including who you married, <laughs> meaning who they married? So um, I tried to use a little humor that just went like, <laughs> right over the side. okay, Pastor Daniel is going to take us into communion right now. I think it's the perfect bridge into just opening our hearts and allowing the communion of the Holy Spirit and the reality of Jesus to touch us. And if you find yourself just like, Pastor, I'm confused about these things, or Pastor, I just am unsure about, or Pastor, I've been wounded by these things. Pastor, I just don't know anything about these things. awesome. You're in the right place then, man. You're in the right place at the right time. And what we're going to do together is allow the Holy Spirit to teach us these things and draw us into these things and help us to understand these things because God is good and he has good gifts for his people. And that's what we want. We want to eagerly desire the gifts Follow the way of love and allow strengthening, encouraging, and hope to be given to the church today. Son, come on.
2: All right. Can we give it up for Pastor John and God? Yes. Thank you. Um, just, uh, you know, finding out that I was running communion this weekend, and just really taking it to the Lord and asking, hey, what what do you want to be done uh, for your people, your sheep, your church? Uh, what, what what How do you want it to end with the Holy Spirit message? And I felt like he kept saying to me, I'm not done with you yet. And the story behind that with me personally is I am not a good flyer. Like, I hate getting on planes, get very nervous. But every time I get on a plane, I lay my hand on it, and I go, Jesus put angels in and around it, protect us, let there be zero turbulence. And every single time I felt like the Lord tells me, Daniel, I'm not done with you yet. I'm not done with you yet. I'm not done with you yet. And I felt like the Lord want me to put that on you guys, that he's not done with you yet, that he's not done with his church yet. And you might be asking, Daniel, what does that have to do with communion? Well, if we look at the very symbolic nature of what communion is, it's representation of what Jesus did on the cross for our sins. And that's him saying, I'm not done with you yet. The first plan didn't work, but guess what? He died. He had and came back to life for our sins, so we could be in eternity with him. And every time he did that, he's saying, I'm not done with you yet. I'm not done with you yet. So whether you think you're too young, you're like, what can I offer? God's saying, I'm not done with you yet. Just start. And whether you're too old and you think, what else can I give? God is saying, I'm not done with you. Give. And whether you're in the middle and you're saying, I'm too busy, God's saying, I'm not done with you yet. And how fitting is it with a a message that about the giftings of the Holy Spirit, how does he wanna use you? God is saying he is not done with this church. And I'm not saying just Jubilee, I'm saying the big C church, I'm saying the church around the world, he is not done. The very act of Jesus on the cross, what he did, I can just imagine in his mind, I'm not done with these people yet. I love them so much. I'm not done with them. What happened, the fall happened, and it stinks because I don't have that communication with them, but there's a plan. I'm not done with them. And I'm gonna die on the cross for their sins, and I'm gonna be in relationship with them again. And that's the very act of him saying, I'm not done with them. And I really felt like the Lord was saying that over you this weekend, that he's not done with us. And there's hope in that. There's love in that. So as you guys grab the bread, please. And as we take this, since to do it in remembrance of what he has done for us. It's a representation of his body. It's a representation of his sacrifice. And it's him saying, I'm not done with you yet. So would you join me? And with the grape juice, this is a representation of the blood that he shed on the cross for our sins. Being beaten, getting a crown of thorns plunged onto his head, getting nails in his ankles and in his wrists, being whipped, spat on, embarrassed, humiliated. Just picture Jesus all beat up, barely able to keep his eyes open because the pain is so terrific. And you can almost see just like a smile, like I'm almost there, I'm almost there. And then I get reunited with my children, I'm reunited with my bride. And he's just saying, I'm not done with you. So wherever you're at in your life, Be open to God using you this week in the giftings that we've talked about. Would you join me, please? Jesus, you are so good. As we just look back and realize the sacrifice and everything that you went through so we could be reunited with you, so we could have uninterrupted silence with you, so we could be close to you, Lord, so you can use us as your tools. Lord, we thank you that you gave us the Holy Spirit, our friend, our helper. And Jesus, we're sorry that we're not utilizing the gifts that you've given us as much as that we should. So I pronounce right now, Lord, an influx of these giftings on your church. We cry out that your people are crying out, Jesus, we want these gifts but let it always be for the furtherment of the kingdom of God and not for our own selves. Thank you for what you did for us that day. Thank you for reuniting with us. And thank you for not being done with us. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.
0: Thank you for joining us online for the Jubilee experience. We hope that this message impacted you and your families. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more messages like this and more information about our church. And also give online. There's a few convenient ways to do that that will be on the screen. But until next time, God bless and thank you.